You know, when we come to church, we come to worship, we come to celebrate the goodness of God, but we also come to hear truth, God's word. You know, the scripture says that when you know truth, the truth will set you what? Free. If you're a Christian, you know that verse. So God liberates us. He does wonderful things in our lives. And today I want to talk to you for a couple minutes before we end our time. And I know it was different today. I know we've had a lot of fun. But you know, I do believe that God has a word of encouragement to you. Maybe you're just joined us in Latvia or Germany or Sacramento. I believe God has a word for you. Tonight I want to, or today I want to talk to you about this concept, the dream giver. I want to talk to you about the dream giver. I don't know if you have heard this. I actually heard this, this teaching or this concept, and it blessed me so much that I wanted to take it and kind of make it my own and share it with you. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we read the Bible and we get so focused on the passages that we're reading that we forget that the Bible is a story. Do you realize that the, the scripture, the teaching from Genesis through Revelation is a story. Sometimes because we read little parts and pieces, we think the story maybe is that these are the things that we need to do so God won't be mad at us. Or maybe when you read it, your thoughts are, well, you know, the Bible is, it's cool because it's a guidebook to tell me how I can live and be, live a better life. Maybe those, those things are true in the sense that God does have good things and he wants to give you principles to live by. But can I tell you that when you read the whole entirety of Scripture, there's one theme that we miss sometimes, and here's the theme. Simply this. God had a dream. God had a dream. Now, as we develop this, you might say, Pastor Jared, God had a dream? What do you mean by that? Well, let me begin by, first of all, taking a theological principle, and that is this, that God is all-sufficient and needs nothing. He is the all in all. He doesn't need anything, but as we look through the Bible, here's what we discover. God wanted something, and here was God's dream. You ready? God had a dream, and that dream was, I want a family. God wanted a family. So he created Adam, and he created Eve, and as he created them, he said, now multiply and fill the earth. As we look through scripture, we know in the beginning that he would walk in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve because he wanted relationship with them. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And because they disobeyed God, they were cast out of the garden. They were separated from the family of God because of a thing called sin. Man, I'm so glad that God is God. Aren't you glad that God is bigger than things that happen that catch us off guard? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was slain from the foundation of the world. You know what that means? Is that before Adam and Eve even sinned, God already had a plan to get his family back. Somebody say amen to that. God had a dream, and it was to get a family. And even though he lost them for a little while, he got them back. And what that means is that you and I are brothers and sisters. You're my brother. You're my sister. And listen, they say that blood is thicker than water, but let me tell you this. Spirit is thicker than blood. Because one day, you and I will stand in heaven together as sons and daughters of God, as the family of God. If you look through the entirety of, of Scripture, God was continually creating opportunities. The creating of the tabernacle, and then the temple, and then the blood of Jesus to tear the, the, uh, the veil that separated the, the, the people from God. He was creating opportunity to be close to his family. In fact, will you stand to your feet as we read a passage of Scripture and bring this sermon 
to a start. <coughs> because we're going to read at the end of humanity what's going to take place. Because God tells us what happens at the end of all of this. And as we read through this, this, this passage, you're going to hear a language that, descri- that describes the fact that God thinks about a family. And that he's called you and I to be sons and daughters of God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. Would you read this all together with me? Those of you joining us online, why don't you lift your voice and say it together with me? Let's say it. Here we go. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Now look what it says. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Do you realize at the end of all time, God gets his dream. He gets his family. You know, if we're believers, we're the bride of Christ. We're the sons and daughters of God. God had a dream. I want to pray over you. Let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you're here. I ask this morning that you would help me to get out of the way so that people would see you and hear you. Let them walk out not going, wow, that was a funny thing the church did. That was a great joke. Or, well, that was a good little talk. But may they walk out saying, I think God was saying something to me. So you take a moment right now and just open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Whatever that looks like for you. We do that. Holy Spirit, open our hearts. Speak to us today. We need to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Can someone say amen? Amen. You may be seated today. You know, I've been telling you about this story, this dream that God had a desire to have a family. And I want to read another story to you and ask a few questions this morning. It's found in the book of Mark, and if you have a Bible or you get it on your phone through the Uversion app, if you're watching online, you can click on the notes there. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, and I want to read another story to you, and we're going to develop this concept of being a dream giver. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 says this, while he was in Bethany, this is Jesus, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, got up, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus. You see, here is a woman, and the, the, the other translation says she brought this jar of precious perfume, and it was worth 
300 denarii. Now, a denarii was considered in that time one day's wage. So, in most translation, it says it was a, a, a jar of perfume that was valued at 300 denarii, which was a year's worth of work. If you were to work Monday through Friday all year long, it's about 300 days, roughly. So let's say that today, in the economy today, maybe in this valley, that's for you $50,000 or $70,000 or whatever it is. So here she brings this jar of precious oil worth $50,000. And what does she do? She breaks it open because the only way to get to this precious oil inside was to break it. Because the only way that it would be preserved was to be sealed. So she had to break it, and she does. She breaks it. She pours it over Jesus' head. And then what happens? People begin to complain. People begin to chastise her and say, what are you doing? And Jesus then turns the table on them. He rebukes them and says, why are you getting mad at this woman for doing what she's done? In fact, Jesus goes on to say something very, very profound. He prophesies and he says, this story that happened today, what this woman has done today is so important that every time the gospel is preached all around the world, it needs to be told. In fact, did you know that today I am honoring the command of Jesus by telling this story of this woman 2,000 years later? Some of you are thinking, well, what does that have to do with the dream giver? Well, I want to ask three questions today. You all with me? Say amen. amen. Here's question number one. You ready? Question number one is this. Why was Jesus, as we read in this story, at the home of a leper? Why was Jesus at the home of a leper? Now, Simon had leprosy. Now, whether he'd, he probably had been healed of leprosy um, because Jesus often healed those who had needs. But let me tell you about leprosy. Leprosy was a, a disgusting and painful disease. Your limbs started with your fingers and it would work its way through your arms. It, they would literally begin to die. It would create excruciating pain and they would begin to f- literally fall off. I mean, well, that's a bad way to go. Now, as I begin to think about this, here's the interesting thing. Why was Jesus at the home of a leper? Here's why, my opinion. You you know why? Because Simon represented God's dream. Simon represented God's dream. You know, it makes me think of simply this, is that God doesn't see people the way you and I see people. In fact, Maybe God, when he looks at situations, maybe when he sees people, because here's what we think. We tend to think that healthy people are probably better than non-healthy people. We don't say it out loud, but we kind of think, well, what's going on with that person? They must have done something wrong. Or, or maybe we think that attractive people are, are better than people who aren't quite as attractive. Or maybe, you know, from the world's perspective, we think, well, people that have wealth, they're better than the people that don't have wealth because the people that don't have wealth, maybe they don't work hard enough. And so what do we do? We tend to look at the surface. We tend to look at the outside. What does the scripture say? That God looks at the heart. And so here's the thing that we need to know is that Simon, this leper, someone who wasn't perfect, he represented God's dream. You know what's funny is when you had children, how many of you are parents? Wave your your hand at me. Okay. How many of you, when your children came, and they came out with no teeth, chubby, and no hair? They were beautiful. Why? Because you're not looking at how they look. You're not looking at how talented they are. You're not looking at how how smart and intelligent they are. Of course, we all think we have a genius, right? 
You love them because they're your family. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and you've come in this morning and you think, well, God can't really love me, but here's what you need to know. It doesn't matter the things that you've done that you regret. It doesn't matter if you've made mistakes. It doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter if you have money or you don't have money. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest or you're not the most smart person in the world. Here's what you need to know. You're God's dream. God had a dream, and he dreamed about you. Jesus was at the home of a leper to help us understand that God loves every one of us. And he had a dream that all of us could become a part of the family of God. Amen? Here's question number two. Question number two is this. Why was the woman's gift so important? Why was this gift that she gave, the, the, the jar that was broken, why was that so important that Jesus commanded that from then on throughout all history that wherever the gospel was preached that we should tell that story? Why was it so important? You see, the reason it was important was because this woman, when she laid down this jar of ointment, she wasn't giving a gift she was laying down her dream. So you say, what do you mean, Pastor Jared? Well, let me explain it this way. How many know that women plan differently than men? <laughs> right, men? I mean, if we hear, hey, there's going to be a party, people are coming over, oh, here's what we think. Oh, grab a bag of chips. <laughs> That's all you need is a bag of chips, right? Right? But how many know with women, they plan differently? Right? You know what? It's kind of crazy as a male sometimes because we, we used to have a party and, and you know, Devet, when we'd say, hey, we're going to grab a chip, she'd come walking up and go. And in her hand would be a list on the front and all the way down the back of all the things that we needed to get. In fact, this weekend, my in-laws are with us today. It's an honor to have Dave and Billy with us in service. And um, so she gave me a list of all these things. And I'm thinking, why do we need all that stuff? All we need is some chips. In fact, have you ever thought about it, men? Because your, your wife will say, okay, we've got friends coming over. It's the middle of the winter. It's nighttime. And they're like, you need to clean the whole backyard. <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? Nobody is going to go in the backyard. There aren't even lights out there. You never know. <laughs> men and women plan differently, don't they? So this woman comes, this woman with a jar that she'd been planning her whole life for her dream. Because here's what you may not know. This jar was her dowry. See, the jar wasn't just some beautiful vase, but it was a dowry. It, was a dowry. it represented her dream. When she held that, that beautiful thing of, uh, of perfume, what it represented was that one day she was going to find a knight in shining armor. It was going to sweep her off her feet. It represented that one day that they were going to get married and have children together. It represented that one day she was going to have the white picket fence and the dog. Not a cat, because that's not in a fairy tale. That's, that's more in a nightmare. nightmare. It, re it represented her dream. You see... What happened is this woman had a moment that she realized and she made the decision that Jesus, that God's dream was more important than her dream. 
So she said, I'm going to lay down my dream so that God can have his dream. Isn't it interesting that the gospel can only be preached by people who are willing to value God's dream over their own? You say, Pastor Jared, you're kind of pushing this envelope a little bit. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. I want to read to you a passage in Matthew chapter 8, verse 34, which says this. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Could you give me a little liberty today? Maybe he's even saying whoever loses their dream will find it. This woman laid down her dream. Why was it so important that we tell the story? Because we need to understand the priorities of God's dream and our dream. Here's the, here's the third question I'm going to ask, and then we're going to bring this to a close. We're going to land this plane. The third question is, why did this event of someone laying down their dream have such an impact? Why did this provoke Judas to betray Jesus? Because it was at this moment where this woman laid down her dream for God's dream that Judas gets up, angrily walks off, and betrays Jesus to the chief priests. I want to read this story from a different perspective. It's found in John, the author of John chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. So she didn't, she didn't just pour it on his head, she poured it on his feet. Wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. You see, what the scripture tells us is that Judas didn't care about the poor. There's a lot of people that say they care about the poor. They say stuff like, well, you know, if you cared about the poor, you'd sell your house and give the money to the poor. They say that a lot of times. It's interesting. They usually don't sell their house. Judas didn't care about the poor. Here's what he cared about. His dream. Because his dream was for power and for money. And now his dream was being threatened because this money that could have been given, that he could have helped himself to, that Jesus could one day ascend and be the king, and he was now going to get to be the advisor to not just a king, but to the king of kings, the great Messiah, the one that would rule the nations. He was going to have wealth, he was going to have influence, he was going to have power, and now that was being threatened because someone laid down their dream, and that was the thing. Could that have been the thing that triggered Judas to betray Jesus. I want to give you a powerful thought. You ready? The greatest threat to God's dream is our unsurrendered dream. The greatest threat to God's dream is our surrendered dream. You know, research um, proves that 
Husbands and wives, their biggest conflicts, their greatest arguments are dream-related. You know that. You know that when maybe a husband or a wife gets mad at their spouse because they're spending too much money, they're not really getting mad because they're spending money. They're getting mad because they're threatening their dream, their dream that they're going to have a secure future and have finances to do the things they want to do. So when you're spending too much money, you're threatening my dream, my future. When a husband goes off and has a hobby and doesn't spend time with his kids, it's not that they're just mad at you because you're going off to do what you want to do. They're mad because why? You're threatening their dream, and their dream is to have a family that spends time together, that that lives life together. You're threatening their dream. So many times what happens? Conflict and challenge come because of our dream. And what we see in this story is there was a woman who was willing to say, God, your dream is more important than my dream. I'm reminded of really Higher Vision Church in this process because Devet and I came to a moment several years ago, about 13 years ago, where we had to make a decision to lay down our dream or to be like Judas and go off and do what we wanted to do. We were working in a church in Modesto, and while we were there, God had put a vision in my heart to affect the nations in the area of worship, to write songs, to to teach worship leaders from around the world, and basically an opportunity opened to go and take that to the next level, and some things took place, and so we had to choose. Are we going to lay that dream down, stay where we were, or are we going to go off, be mad, be angry, and pursue our own dream? Because there was an opportunity to do that. I could have resigned. We could have left. And if we did, we could have probably gone to where we wanted to go. But you know what God said to us? He said, you need to lay down your dream. And you need to be faithful and you need to serve. And so we did. And as I look back at the story, here's what I discover and what I realize is that whenever you and I lay down our dream, here's the thing we need to remember. What does the scripture say? That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or think according to his power that is at work within you. Here's the cool thing about God. When this woman laid down her dream, he came back and he gave her a dream that was bigger than anything she ever thought was possible. But many times we hold on to our dreams so much that we never lay them down so that God can pick them back up. In fact, if we hadn't laid that dream down, the cool thing is God did a double whammy because we stayed, we were faithful, and then some of the things that we were believing for started happening right where we were. God gave us a television ministry. We started ministering to people all over the world. We still get emails, phone calls today. They're still running that show that we produced on worship. We have students that went through a ministry school. There were so many things that God did. Many of the things that we were believing for happened there. But here's the thing. Had we gone our own way, had we chose our own dream, we would have ended up in Arizona at a church. And guess what? God would have never given another dream called Higher Vision Church in Valencia, California. And today, here's the cool thing. Today there are people that are in this room watching online that 13 years ago you didn't even have a relationship with Jesus. 
There are people in this room that your marriage was about to fall apart, but God, through the ministries here at Higher Vision Church, whether it's our marriage ministry or one of the pastors or one of our counselors or through the services here, your life has been changed. I had someone that sent me something on Facebook this week, and here's what it said. It, it, was, a, it was a picture of special memories, and on the first line, it said, my husband gave his life or rededicated his life to Jesus, 2010. And then right below that, it said, I, for the first time, gave my life to Jesus, 2012. And then they went on to say, Pastor Jared and the team at Higher Vision, thank you for what you've done because now not only have we given our life to Jesus, but God saved our marriage, and now we're using our gifts and talents to minister in the parks to give away food. I'm gonna tell you something. When you are willing to lay down your dream for God's dream, God has a way of giving it back to you, and it's better. It's better than you could ever think, than you could ever imagine. I want to say, I'm not telling you today that God's not wanting you to have a family. I'm not telling you that if you surrender some things in your life for God's dream, that everything will be perfect. But here's what I am telling you. That if you'll lay down your dream, you'll end up getting the dream you really want. I think about Adam, I think about April, I think about Randy, I think about Devet. I know Devet's dream would be to go back and be closer to family. If I had a dream, it probably would be to do that too. But as we sought the Lord, God gave us a word and we had to make a decision. Am I going to be like Judas? Am I going to get up and run off and do my own thing? Or am I going to say, God, okay, I'm going to break the vessel. I'm going to surrender what I want to do what you want so that your dream can come to pass in a place called Valencia in the Santa Clarita Valley so that lives can be changed. And I tell you today, we're thankful that we surrendered to God's dream and didn't just pursue our own dream. It wasn't easy and it hasn't been easy, but I want you to know something. God has a dream for you. He's the dream giver. What does he say? He says, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of a hope, thoughts of a future, thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. God has a dream for you, but many of us are missing that dream because we're like Judas. We're grabbing our jar and we're running off to say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to tell you, you'll never step into all that God has for you, his best and live the higher vision until you learn to surrender your dream. What does the scripture say? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? These things will be added unto you. I have three questions for you as the worship team comes. Question number one. I know it's a little bit of a serious topic today, but I want to tell you something. Hopefully, the story that you've seen the last two weeks will be an illustration of what God can do with a dream. What can he do with your dream? The problem is God can't bless what you're still holding. God can't bless what you're not willing to surrender and break and give to him. Question number one, do you have an unsurrendered dream that is keeping you from serving God? Question two, do you have an unsurrendered dream that is coming before your marriage or your family? Question three, is your life God-centered or is your life self-centered? 
The dream giver has a dream for you.